0: Well, friends, it is good to worship with you here today in Flex Theater as we remain flexible here today. Um, so there was, uh, if, you, if you didn't catch, there was a little bit of a scheduling mix-up in our, in our calendar. So uh, we got into Freeman early in the morning, got everything set up, worship team practiced, did their thing, 10 o'clock rolled around. We were ready to pray it up before everyone came, and we noticed we don't have the space reserved there's another space that's supposed to, another uh, group that's supposed to be meeting in the space. So we packed everything up and, and we, we brought it over here and the, the hub staff has been gracious in helping us in that and uh, our team did a wonderful job. And so uh, can we give it up for our, our church team that, that uh, hustled to make this happen? Thank you guys. Really appreciate it, really appreciate it. It is good to be with you here today, friends. Um, For those of you who are new, you're joining us here for the first time. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here. Um, It's a joy to be back with you. Last week, I was not here. uh, Last week, um, I I was out of town, and uh, Pastor Aaron Henning, my boss, my pastor, uh, the pastor at the State College Alliance Church, he came and uh, brought the word to our our church family here. From what I hear, it was a wonderful time of digging into God's word, being encouraged, being challenged. And so I'm deeply thankful for Pastor Aaron and the partnership that we have with the Sponsored Church. Um, And so, although he didn't mention that I owe Kendall a a big cash prize. I don't know what that's about, Um, but Kendall, if you're here, I assure you, I don't have that. Um, And so uh, you'll have to take that up with Pastor Aaron. But I do have a slice of pizza for everyone. And so after service, stick around. Uh, You can get a free slice on your way out, and um, we'd love for you to join us. Today... We are launching into a brand new teaching series that's gonna take us all the way to the end of this school year. Uh, now, I don't know if you realize this, but after today, we only have three Sunday services left uh, together, and that's because next week, we won't meet in our usual sense on a Sunday morning um, uh, due to spring retreat. ACF will be away, but in lieu of that, we'd love for you to join us at Pascorilla at 6 p.m. for our worship as one event. Uh, that'll be a good, uh, a, a good replacer for our Sunday morning time, and uh, so we'd love to see you there, but after that, and then uh, the Sunday before finals week. Uh, The hub shuts things down, and we are not allowed to meet in any sort of uh, formal gathering. And so on that Sunday, we'll be joining our sponsor church at the State College Alliance Church. So all that to say, after today, we only have three Sundays left, which makes this a little short four-part series that we're calling Cancelled. Cancelled. The Heart Sayings of Jesus. Now, that word might trigger some emotions for you or... Or maybe not. I, I I don't know. Maybe for some of you, you're sick and tired of hearing things that have been canceled and this. Now this is canceled. Now that's canceled. Like like it's hard to keep up with cancel culture. And and maybe for some of you, you've been living under a rock and you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing this term. Like what are you talking about, right? But but if you've been paying attention to any sort of social discourse, you'll know that this term has been thrown around a ton in recent days and even recent years. This word has become sort of a hot button in a very political sense as well. I mean, the, the left has used this term against the right. The right has used this term against the left. And, and, and that term has been thrown around. But but it's not only in the political sphere that we see that term being used. Companies have been canceled. Corporations have been canceled. Celebrities have been canceled. Social media influencers have been canceled. Podcasters have been canceled. Uh, church leaders and pastors and church organizations have been canceled. I don't know if you've been paying attention in, in the last couple of years of, of the rise of immorality and falls from religious leaders, from these, these real big names. I mean, more recently, the the, the the scandal that has circled around Hillsong. I mean, all of this stuff, and I'm not here to give a commentary on all of that, but all that to say, there's a lot of canceling going on, not just in the political arena, but in virtually every arena that we find ourselves in. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the term canceled or cancel culture, let's just get on the same page here. When we say canceled, we're referring to a broad kind of rejection based on what someone says, based on what someone does, or based on what they even think. If you don't align with someone or an idea that they represent, if you find something that, that someone says as mildly offensive and, 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 or deeply offensive, if you're bothered by one's actions or their behaviors, well, according to our social discourse, it's your prerogative to go ahead and cancel them. Now, just to clarify, once again, I am not advocating for cancel culture. I am not preaching against cancel culture. That's not what the series is about in the least bit, I'm not here to say whether people are right or wrong in their canceling of people, companies, groups, organizations, et cetera. We're not going to spend the next several weeks making a case for or against cancel culture. That's not what the series is about. The series is about taking a good hard look at some of the hard sayings of Jesus. Because you want to know the truth? If Jesus had a Twitter account today, if Jesus had a TikTok account, if Jesus had, uh, if he was a podcaster, if he had a YouTube channel, and if Jesus said half of the things that he said that we have in our Bibles, he would be canceled in a heartbeat. He would be canceled in a heartbeat. In fact, the way I know that to be true is because that is precisely what happened to Jesus. Except for Jesus, he didn't just lose his job. He he didn't just lose his platform. He didn't just lose his audience or his influence or his followers. He didn't lose his reputation or his clout for Jesus. He lost everything. He lost his entire life. They humiliated him. They cursed him, ridiculed him, tortured him before ultimately nailing him to a cross. He was canceled way before cancel culture was even a thing. And it was because of some of the stuff that he said. He would say things like this. Like, like Luke chapter 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't follow me. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus, I don't know if you caught the, 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 the cultural norm. We don't preach hate. We preach love around. We're about love. Love wins, right? Love, love love is king, right? You can't say hate your father, mother, wife, and children, brother, sister, uncle, you know, whatever. Like, no, cancel. John fourteen. Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." That sounds awfully exclusive, Jesus. We're about inclusion here, not exclusion. You know, you can't, you can't say that. Cancel. Uh, what about this? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Again, Jesus, we don't talk about hell. It's not like we don't even believe in hell. Like, that's not, we don't touch that. We're just, just stay away from that. And then he goes on and he says, If your right hand causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. Jesus, have you heard of the term body positivity? Yeah, it's like, no, none of this body harm, body mutilation, like body. you like, no, you don't cut it off. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Cancel. You can't say that kind of stuff, man. I mean, it's incredibly difficult. The point is this. If you read through the red letters of Jesus in your Bibles, It would be incredibly difficult for you to find a place where Jesus wasn't saying something to ruffle some feathers. Where Jesus wasn't saying something that got under people's skins in some deeply bothersome way. And friends, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you identify yourself as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, you need to understand something do you realize that you are following in the footsteps of one of the most canceled person in all of human history? In fact, the early disciples knew this. This wasn't new information to them. This wasn't misinformation. This was, they, didn't, they didn't have to fact check this. They knew this. They knew who they were following. You know how I know that? Because Jesus wasn't the only one canceled. After Jesus, every single one of his disciples shortly thereafter were canceled in a similar fashion. Peter, He was crucified upside down. He said, I don't count count myself worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord was. So if you're going to kill me, fine, kill me, but do it upside down. Matthew, he was killed by sword. John, the brother was boiled in oil. I mean, can you imagine that? You want to know the astounding thing? John actually survived that. He survived it. John was the only one out of Jesus' disciples, out of his 12, that, that died of old age and that wasn't killed off. John wrote the Gospel of John and, and the, the, the epistles of John in the New Testament. James? James was thrown off a cliff. And when the people who threw him off realized the kill didn't kill him, the, the fall didn't kill him, they rushed down and beat the brother with clubs and killed him by clubbing him to death. Bartholomew, he was whipped to death. Andrew? tortured, and then crucified shortly thereafter. Thomas, he was speared to death. Matthias, stoned and beheaded, much like John the Baptist was beheaded. Philip, arrested, tortured, and then killed. The stakes were way higher for these followers of Jesus because for them, it didn't mean just losing some followers or losing their platform or losing their, their job, or their reputation. It was so much more than that. The stakes were so much higher. And it was all because they believed in the heart sayings of Jesus. All this hard stuff that Jesus preached, the disciples, get this, they actually believed him. <laughs> you know, they actually believed the things that Jesus was saying with all of their heart, with all their being, to the point of going to their grave. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of these hard sayings that Jesus said and ask ourselves. I think, I think we, we owe it to ourselves. As if you've been a follower of Jesus any length of time, I think you need to ask yourself, do I believe this stuff? Do I actually believe in these things that, that Jesus is saying and preaching to the point where I would be willing to be thrown into a vat of boiling oil? Do I believe in Jesus? Not just the comforting stuff. Not just the flowery stuff. Not just like, Jesus loves you, Amen. I receive that, right? Like, but but like, yes. But you also need to hate your father, mother, brother, sister. Brother. Like like, where do we where do we draw the lines of? I'm willing to follow Jesus up until this point. See, there's there's a reason why we're going through the series because Jesus didn't just preach flowery language. There were some hard things that Jesus said, things that he said that made people deeply uncomfortable. And today's passage is case in point in that. Today's passage, we see Jesus making some folks very, very uncomfortable. And the story can be found in John chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a smartphone, smart device, go ahead and open that up to John chapter six. And this morning, Uh, I'm going to have Sarah come and read John chapter 6 for us. Uh, But uh, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you could uh, look up on the screen. We'll have it up here as well. But uh, John chapter 6, we're going to start from, uh, pick up in verse 52 and read to the end there uh, to verse 69. And so Sarah, why don't you go ahead and read that passage for us.
1: So our scripture reading for this morning is from John 6, verses 52 through 69. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said,
0: that you are the Holy One of God. Amen, amen. Thank you, Sarah, for reading. Appreciate that. Friends, I want you to imagine with me, you're scrolling through your social media platform of choice, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, which, by the way, I don't understand TikTok in the least bit. I just, I I don't get it. But let's say you're scrolling through whatever sort of social media platform, Twitter, and, and you come across someone that jumps on and says to the world, In order to live, y'all need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, like, maybe for you, you'd be like, oh, this is another freaking crazy person out there in the world like saying some crazy loony things. And, like, maybe your inclination might be to completely dismiss this person And and overlook this person and just keep scrolling on to the next interesting thing. And maybe in some regard, when we read today's passage, that's what we might be inclined to do with Jesus' words here. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Jesus, this sounds nuts. I mean, like, well, what do you, I don't even understand what you're saying. Have you gone full World War Z on us here? Like, what is happening here? Like, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This all sounds very odd. Now, for the the ancient Jewish community here, this wasn't just odd sounding. Like, I, I feel like today we live in a world where we hear a lot of crazy stuff, right? And we're just like, just another crazy thing, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like it's just like eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's not that crazy sounding compared to some of this crazy stuff I hear the world say, right? Like, but like for the Jewish community in the Jewish world, this wasn't just odd sounding. This was deeply offensive. I mean, think about the most offensive thing that you would hear someone say today, and you put that, overlay that over what Jesus is saying here, eat my flesh, drink my blood, to the Jewish community, and the audience that Jesus is speaking to, it would would have been on par with that course. It would have been completely outside of the realm of appropriate, acceptable, logical, right? Like, how does this even make sense? And even spiritually moral. I mean, a good Jewish person would have been taught in their Jewish upbringing that drinking any kind of blood made you unclean. And drinking any kind of blood made you unclean in a way that you were unacceptable in the eyes of God. Now, in addition to that, nowhere in Scripture, you could study Scripture throughout, nowhere in Scripture does God seem to endorse cannibalism. Okay, it's just, it's just you won't find that. And so even with all the crazy stuff out there in our world today, I think the general population, I think we might all agree, the general public would all agree that eating people is just not a good idea. You know, like that's just generally not acceptable and not okay. And again, here comes the Son of God on the scene in John chapter 6 in front of a Jewish audience, in front of these people, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no part with me you have no access to the kingdom of god and so you can start appreciating the discomfort the grumbling that is beginning to happen at this point amongst jesus listeners but i want you to see something this actually goes a little bit deeper than that you see oftentimes in order to understand the heart sayings of jesus You got to pull the lens back and see the broader context of the things that Jesus is saying. It's not like Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood in a vacuum. It's not like out of nowhere he gets up and he's like, eat my flesh, drink my blood and out. right? Like that. He doesn't do that like this. He doesn't say that in a vacuum. There's, there are bigger things going on here in John chapter 6. Now, what happened in John chapter 6? If you have your Bibles, you can even just scan up. We're not going to read through it, but at the very top of John chapter 6, we come to a story, one of the most iconic stories in Jesus' miraculous journeys, which is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Right? You know that story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He's in front of a crowd. He's teaching and preaching in, in front of this crowd for for uh, an extended period of time. And all these people are hungry. And so Jesus takes some loaves and he multiplies it. He gives this massive crowd plenty of bread to eat. I mean, with, with leftovers to spare. And then shortly thereafter that, he draws a connection from that very miracle to a self-identified statement Again, you could look through, it, just kind of scroll through uh, or or just kind of skim through John chapter 6. He goes to this self-identified statement where he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. As you ate of that bread on that hillside, so think of me as the bread of life. And in that teaching, we're not going to unpack all of this here because that's a whole other message in and of itself. But in that teaching, he hearkens back all the way to the Old Testament where God caused manna to fall from and bread to fall from heaven to feed the Israelites as they wandered in the desert, right? You remember that life in the wilderness? We talked about that. The Israelites are wandering through the desert. They're complaining. They're grumbling. God's like, I had it. Okay, I get it. You're hungry, all right? I'm I'm going to cause manna to fall from heaven. Manna falls and God feeds them. And in John chapter six, Jesus draws all this connection from back from the Old Testament to this moment here using this picture of bread and he says to the people as God has given the Israelites bread so I give you crowd of 5000 bread that is eternal I am the bread of life and then he takes that analogy one step further he keeps he keeps pulling on that thread He keeps pulling on that thread, which brings us to today's passage. And he notices that people aren't quite getting the the analogy, right? Like people aren't getting the bread metaphor. So he gets up in their space and he's like, okay, in order to find true meaning in life, in order to find meaning and purpose in this world, which I think all of us are begging the question, what's the meaning for my life on this planet? What is my purpose? What is my intended end game? And Jesus says, in order to find that, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this is where people started to get really tripped up is where Jesus starts losing his audience, right? Like, you know, like when you see, when you see uh, performers or comedians like performing, you know, and they're like losing their crowd, right? Like you, you try to you try divert. You try to like, you know, try to, you know, and there are times when I'm preaching, I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm getting through here. Let me try this way. And then uh, let me try, you know, and, and, and Jesus, he's like, you're not getting this. So, so, so let, me, let me divert this. Let me, let me get up in your space. Let me get up in your world here. And let me put it this way. You need to eat my flesh, and drink my blood. Now, you got to put yourself in the position of the crowd here, because this is important. You got to understand where the crowd is. Okay, we, we know that what Jesus is saying, but, but what about the other side, the receiving end, right? What, what is the crowd thinking in this moment? Now, it's important that you follow the crowd, because if you don't follow the crowd, you'll miss where they're coming from. Because if you read through John chapter 6, from the beginning all the way to the end of John chapter 6, you'll see the progression of the crowds. You see, in the beginning, guess what? The crowds loved Jesus, they were all about him, right? Like you got to imagine here's a crowd of 5,000 people starving. Okay, and Jesus comes out and he goes like, you know, like, I don't know how it happened, but he pulls out bread from his back pocket. And he's like, you get a loaf, you get a loaf, you get a loaf, right? And he starts feeding the 5,000 and he starts. And they, they got to a point where the people were so enthralled by this miracle. They were so blessed by this miracle that they were literally ready to make Jesus their king. I mean, in John chapter 6, earlier on in the chapter, they, they literally say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is our guy. Like, they, they loved him. They adored him. And they were ready to make, them, make him their king. But then towards the end of that same chapter, the crowds all, they vanish. They disappear. They revoke their statements. They no longer want Jesus to be their king, much less walk with Jesus. They all Turn away. Why? What happened? What happened in between that hillside moment, and this moment in John chapter six, verse fifty-two to sixty-nine? What happened in between then that caused the crowds to disappear? Well, they canceled them because of this heart saying, "Eat my flesh, drink my blood." See, they didn't walk away because they thought he was nuts. He wasn't. They didn't turn away because he was calling them to cannibalism. That's not what Jesus was saying here. It wasn't because he was calling them to abandon their Jewish traditions and their customs. That's not what Jesus was asking them to do. They canceled Jesus because Jesus was calling them to something much bigger than that. Jesus was calling them to something much more profound and much deeper than that. Deeper and bigger than cannibalism, bigger and deeper than the Jewish customs. and and He was calling them to something much bigger than that. And what was that? He was calling them to believe in him and abide in him. And that's the bottom line today. That's my big idea. I'm flipping my message. Usually I present the big idea on the front end. I'm closing with this one and only point today. I don't have three points for you. I have three points to preach through today. I just have this one singular point, and it's the point that Jesus seems to make over and over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, not just here in John chapter 6, but throughout the entire Gospel of John and throughout all four Gospels, which is believe in me and abide in me. Believe in me and abide in me. You see, the whole message of eat my flesh, drink my blood boils down to this. Believe and abide in Christ Believe and abide in Christ. You see, the problem with the crowds in John chapter 6 is the same problem that you and I face today. We tend to believe and abide in the stuff that God gives to us. We tend to believe and abide in the blessings of God. Oh, God, I'll believe in you when the blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And that's only when I'll praise you, Lord, right? Like, it's like, I'm, I'm only going to praise you, Lord, when the blessings flow. I, I, we tend to believe and abide in the gifts from above. James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so, God, I'm going to believe in you for that. I'm going to believe in and abide in the gifts that come from above. We believe and abide in the provisions of bread. Now, just to clarify, when I say the word believe, the word believe here in the Greek pistuo is not this, this sort of general belief in an informational kind of way, like believing that the, the sky is blue or, or, or believing in the law of gravity, right? You see, when, when Jesus uses the word believe here, this word is implying a very personal kind of trust, a very intimate faith. Right? It's not informational, it's this very core confidence that we put in something or someone. Okay, let let, let me just give you an example. This might not be the best example, but I'll go with it anyway. It's sort of like a bank. Okay, like a bank. You see, when I when I give my bank my money, there's this understanding that I am trusting you, bank, you financial institution, that you're gonna hold it for me and not spend my money. Right? I mean I mean if you if you breach that contract that we, we got a problem here we got an issue here I'm I'm putting my faith in that institution every two weeks when I entrust my hard-earned money, which isn't a lot. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm not making, like, some of you guys are graduating with engineer degrees. Please remember to tie to your old church, okay? Remember ACF, okay? You guys are going to be making big bucks. I'm not, okay? Like, we're, we're we're in ministry here, but but every two weeks, nonetheless, when that check gets deposited into my bank account, I'm trusting, believing in my bank, having faith and confidence in my bank that they're going to do what they claim to do, which is Hold your money, Dan, until you're ready to spend it. Let me give you another sort of different example. Some of you know I used to play volleyball uh, back, competitively back in the day, and, and come game time, I believed in my teammates. A- anyone play any competitive sports, like in team-based sports? Hey, here, yeah, just quick raise a hand, like a bunch of you, all right? So, so whether, whether it's soccer, whether it's you know baseball, basketball, whatever, I, I mean, in my world, it, it was volleyball you got to believe in your teammates. In other words, for me, when the ball went to my teammates, I had confidence that they were going to make right when the ball came to them. They were going to do what was required of them. I trusted them and believed in them as my teammates. You see, when Jesus says, believe in me, he's essentially saying, I want you to trust me with your life. When you hand me the ball to your life, when you deposit your check, that is your life, when you give your life to me, I want you to trust me with it. I want you to believe in me with it. I want you to have a confidence. I want you to be confident in my abilities to manage your life far better than you can manage it yourself. How many of you know that to be true? Jesus can manage your life far better than you can manage it yourself. Anyone say amen to that, right? Like, amen, I'm with you, right? Like, and that's, that's what Jesus is saying when he says, hey, believe in me. He's not saying, believe that I existed. Some people think belief about Jesus is sufficient. Jesus, I believe that you were a good teacher. I believe that you, I, I even believe certain historical events actually took place, that you died on the cross. I even believe in the resurrection, the miracle of the resurrection. That's good, right? That's good enough. I believe in that. Half the world doesn't believe that there was an actual real body, real bodily resurrection. I believe in that. That's not what Jesus is asking you to believe in. Jesus is asking you to believe in him in the most intimate, personal way where you give your life. We prayed this earlier before the service started. We lay our lives at your feet, Jesus. And when we do, I'm making the statement, I trust you. I have confidence that you're gonna do what you claim to do, which is manage my life, govern my life, be Lord over my life in a way that, I cannot, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He says, believe in me. But then he also says, I want you to abide in me. I want you to abide in me. Remain in me. Stay with me, right? It's a great modern day theologian, Sam Smith once said, won't you stay with me? Right? Uh, bad, bad example. I mean, talking about a one-night stand and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're not, we won't go there. We won't go there. But, 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 but see, that, that's essentially what Jesus is saying, right? Like, stay, stay with you. Abide in me. Look, 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 look at what it says. Verse 56 of John chapter 6. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, get this, abides in me and I in him. That's what Jesus was trying to get people to do, not to actually eat his flesh and drink his blood. He was trying to get people to abide in him, stay with him, remain in him. Uh, I want you to notice this. The same people who were fed by Jesus refused to feed on Jesus. Get that? I mean, the same crowds, the same people who were fed by Jesus refused to feed on Jesus because feeding on Jesus would mean abiding in Him, tethering our lives, our beliefs, our plans our purposes, our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, everything about my life to him. To the point where you intuitively begin to see all of life through the lens of Jesus, where you're one with him. I mean, that, that, that's what, John chapter 15, if you, if you remember that passage of, of the vine and the branches, what abide in me and I'll, I'll abide in you. Like what he's saying is, I want, I want you to be one with me. I, I, I want you to be one with me. That's what it means to believe and abide in Christ. And so you see, we don't approach Jesus simply as the bread giver. Rather, we approach him as the bread of life that we feed on. That's what he was getting at when he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, feed on me. I don't want you to just be fed by me. I want you to abide in me. I want you to be one with me. I want you to align your life. I want you to surrender your life to me in a way where my thoughts become your thoughts. My desires become your desires. My plans and my purposes become your plans and your pursuits of life. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, believe in me, and abide in me. So, friends, let me ask you today. Who or what do you believe in? Like, not, again, not not belief in a God, in sort of this general sort of existential way. Like, I believe there is a God. He exists, right? But who or what do you believe in? Where do you ultimately place your trust, your confidence, your faith? Where do you place your hope? When it's game time, who are you trusting the ball with? Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, Some of you might say it's LeBron. Some of you might say it's Kobe. Rest in peace. All of you would be wrong, okay? I mean, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, Jordan was known to say, hey, when it's game time, when the win is on the line, get me the ball. Get me the ball, right? When it comes down to it, when your life is on the line, who are you trusting your life with? You got to understand, friends, on this side of heaven, our life is always on the line. It might not feel it. We might not feel the urgency of it. But spiritually speaking, apart from Jesus, we're dead. Right? Like our life is literally on the line. And so the question that we all have to grapple with at one point or another is, when my life is on the line, who am I trusting my life with? Who do you believe in? and who are you abiding in who are you tethering yourself to who and what are you making yourself one with like like to the point where you, you know we 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 talk about this every now and then at ACF like you hang around someone enough you kind of become like them right like you become like you know i i, I use the example of my wife and i you know we've been married for like 15 16 years or something i should know this my wife is, I don't know where my wife is. I don't think she's here good. Uh, so, so, you know, we, we've been married for some time, you know, and, 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 you know, every now and then people will say to us, you know, Dan and Nicole, you guys really, like, look alike. Like, yeah, but I'm Asian, bro, like, and she's not. Like, how how does this happen, right? Like, and and over time, what happens is you begin to pick up sort of these nuances, these idiosyncrasies, these mannerisms, and, and that becomes sort of the display that the world sees, right? Like, you pick up on these things. You hang around people long enough, okay, branches. You hang around the vine long enough, you will become like the vine. You hang around Jesus, you abide with him, you stay with him, you remain in him long enough, you become like Jesus. And so the question that Jesus is asking of all of us is, do you believe in me, but also are you abiding in me? Are you with me? Like, I'm with you, Jesus. Not in that sense. No, no, no. Like, are you with me? Are you one with me? Now, before we wrap up, in fact, worship team, you guys can come on up and Get ready to close us here. You need to be careful how you answer those two questions. Who or what do you believe in? And who and what are you abiding in? You need to be careful how you answer those questions and be mindful of how you answer those two questions because the answer that the early disciples and the early church arrived at was we believe in Jesus. And we are abiding and tethering ourselves only to Jesus. And that ultimately got them canceled. But maybe you'll see, just maybe, just maybe, my my hope is that throughout the course of this series, you'll see that as you follow Jesus, even in the hard stuff that he says, even in the stuff that gets you scratching your head, you're like, Jesus, I, I don't really know what to do with that. But as you follow Jesus faithfully, maybe you'll see that it's actually not the worst thing in the world to be canceled after all. Because at the end of the day, you'd be walking in the footsteps of Jesus, your Lord, who was nailed to a cross to pave the way to say, as I live, so you follow suit. Believe in me, trust me, I got your life. I know what I'm doing with your life far more than you might imagine. And if you believe in me, I think you're going to stick around. I don't think you're going to bail like the crowds bailed. See, the crowds, they they were like, I'm here for the gifts, Jesus. I'm here for the bread. But Don't let out. Like, come on, give it out. Like, I, I'm not here to, like, give my life to you. I thought, I thought this was like a one-way exchange. Like, you give me, and I eat to my satisfaction. Jesus is like, no, 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 no the bread of life, feed on me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, believe in me, and abide in me. Friends, I pray, I pray that as we approach this, the next several weeks that that we have together in this semester, the semester will be gone before you know it, and I know many of you are stressed and freaking losing your minds over like everything in life, right, amen, like anyone with me, I, I get it, I get it, I get it, I pray that you, stay tethered to Jesus in the process. I pray that you would stay abiding in the vine because you know what Jesus said? Apart from me, you ain't gonna do anything. Apart from me, you got nothing. You can't accomplish anything. But with Christ, he says, it's all their game. It's all possible. And so in the coming days, Church family, if I could just encourage you to just lean in and and have that soul-searching question, who do I believe in? Who am I abiding in? In fact, can we just bow in a word of prayer here just as we we prepare our hearts to, to close out our service here this morning? Would you just take a moment?